0: Welcome to today's episode on life in the front office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, here with both co-hosts of Pat Gallagher and Andy Dolich and our special guest in Tim Meade today. Uh, Tim, really excited to have you on, not only to dive into your uh, amazing experiences and accomplishments along along your journey, uh, but also your new role in the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And Pat, if you'll remember January 21st, 2019, we had Jeff Idelson on our podcast, uh, which seems forever ago now, but uh, we are you know, fortunate and lucky to both have both uh, the past uh, and the current uh, president of the Baseball Hall of Fame, so excited for this one, and uh, Pat, Andy, I'll let you kick it away because you've known Tim longer than I have, but uh, Tim, crazy to uh, think it's been... Gosh, seven, eight years already since uh, we've known each other back then. Well, I'll,
1: I'll let my colleague, Mr. Gallagher, throw the first pitch. Since uh, we talked about Pat, 32 years with the San Francisco Giants, and Tim, who will reveal his incredible record with the Angels. So those guys who could actually keep a job for a while, we'll start with them, and then I'll, you and I will jump in later.
2: Well, it's, I mean, you talk about sort of a a perfect situation, Tim. I mean, we were all blessed to have jobs in in baseball and we worked hard at it. You, you know, to be at the Angels for 40 years, I saw you quoted somewhere where you said you sort of expected maybe to be there 50 years, but then this opportunity came by. There may may have been the only opportunity that could have convinced you to, to leave, um, when we did talk to Jeff Idelson, he didn't, he didn't tip his hand that he was actually leaving. So it was like right, right, right when, before it was announced. And I know, I, know, I know that they were looking to find somebody who would be perfect for this role, somebody who understood and appreciated and lived the history of the game. And I, I got to tell you, when, when I heard that you had agreed to take this job, I mean, I think there's only been four presidents of the Hall of Fame since its existence, when you uh, agreed to do this. I think it's it was fantastic. You know, I did check the temperature this morning, and in Cooperstown, New York, it was twenty eight degrees. Um, in Anaheim, it's seventy two degrees. But hey, you know. Uh, but I want to I want to I, I congratulate you for 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 taking the job, but also tell you your timing was incredible in the, taking this before the pandemic season. So you get to write the book about uh, baseball and the Hall of Fame. And there's going to be some sort of a chapter in the Hall of Fame. Maybe it's a new exhibit. But anyway, welcome to the podcast or the Zoomcast. And uh, uh, I'll say again, congratulations on this next step for you. If this was easy, anybody could do it.
3: Well, Pat, I I appreciate it. Jake, thanks for the intro. and, and, And I would say this with all sincerity. Connecting a couple years ago with Andy and trying to set up another kind of a a reunion of some of the great minds in the game when I first started, you know, it didn't quite materialize, uh, and I certainly hope it does, but the two of you were, continue to be, because you left your signature in the game, but were so revered, particularly by the PR people, because I think that when I was starting to the game, it was heightened at the height in the in the mid eighties, when, as we talked about earlier, when commissioner Ubaroth took over after the 84 Olympics and really transitioned baseball into a little bit more of a business and branding and marketing, you two are the, the great minds that not only what you did for your own organizations, but ultimately what you did for the game, because I will never forget going to the fall business meetings and you would you'd hear what Andy Dolich was saying or Pat Gallagher was saying, um, <laughs> you know, it was just, it. It was very, very, very important. So it's really an honor for me to be on this and join you guys, and, and I couldn't be more sincere. And Andy, I expressed that to you the other day when we talked.
1: Yeah. No. I, I, now I know the reason that Fred claire didn't join us today because if he would have just heard that, he probably would have just hit the <laughs> leave button. So Jake, <laughs> you make sure you record everything that Tim said, um, and think about think about us kindly. But <laughs> appreciate it. You know, the story of baseball is storytelling. And the greatest storytelling location, I think, in the world is Cooperstown, New York. And now with digital media, you can be anywhere. So you are a storyteller, have been and continue to be. One point that I'm always interested in because I'm not technologically adept is how does an entity like the Hall with COVID-19 and in today's world, tell the story from Little Cooperstown, New York, and having coffee at the Otis Saga Hotel, if I remember the name correctly. How do you take it around the world? How do you harness all of the incredible technology that we have today, to tell the magnificent stories of baseball over a century and a half or longer?
3: Well, that's a great question, Andy, and, and like any other business, whatever whatever you're doing, you know, in 2020, we've all had to grow and expand, um, and, I, and I think as you alluded to earlier, you know, you have to be a little bit of a visionary to this, and that vision is just not going to be clear cut for anybody, so you have to make decisions in the short term and the long term. For us, even before COVID hit, You look at the attendance of if all of us you think about how many times during the course of a baseball season we've said hall of fame and we think of hall of fame as this iconic status and in this institution and this fraternity but yet you know if you go to cooperstown and you go to the hall of fame we we would draw in a year which you ultimately do during a a long homestand so even before covid we talked about we have to expand and, and jeff was working on it long before i got there in any means possible what, what the Hall of Fame is and the resources that we have there. And we have a great education program, um, a phenomenal education program that's that's been in place. So what we've tried to do with all these Zoom meetings and, and different uh, you know gatherings that we've had, we've utilized that now in bringing um, to our members, you know, our contributors, uh, more aspects of the game. We've had virtual tours within the museum. We've brought on authors. Uh, we've had our curatorial people uh, tell stories. We haven't really monetized it yet, perhaps to, to the degree, but as a nonprofit, um, ultimately our 12-month commitment is to do just what you're talking about, Andy, and, and that's storytelling and continuing to grow and you know preserve and continue the legacies uh, while telling the story about today's game as well. And in that, you know, as much as for me personally, it's to look at a hope of, of drawing and continuing to draw younger fans. I want to see our our outreach continue into the major leagues and to players themselves, because we all talk about ambassadors. You know, you were ambassador, the three of us, you can say we were employees, but we're all also ambassadors for our clubs and our organizations. And we were all PR people and we're all salespeople. And I think at any given time, you have 800 potential ambassadors for the Hall of Fame that are playing Major League Baseball that they could understand it. We started a program in spring training this year where we were giving every player uh, a pass, a lifetime pass, if you had one day in Major League service. You know, and we hit the Cactus League, then COVID hit. Um, we're gonna kind of redo that and restructure it next year to make sure everybody's covered but part of it is to teach them about the hall. You know, it's, it's ultimately you want that 12 year old coming in that looks and, and understands and reads and asks questions. But we also have to reach the people who are playing because not only do they serve as the ambassadors, but they can serve as quasi teachers about the education too. So uh, a longer answer to your question, we, we are going to continue to enhance what we already have in place and uh, grow that through some, some state funding and, and other contributions.
2: You know, that the, the and I don't know any of our viewers uh, who've actually been to the Hall of Fame, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to have been there, um, you know, when there's sort of smaller crowds and then I've been there on a couple of the induction weekends. And all I can tell you is that of all the places in the world that you could have told, begin to tell the story about baseball, Um, there's really no better place than Cooperstown, New York, because the players who are part of it, the players who um, are enshrined there, when they're there, they feel like they're in baseball heaven. I mean, it really is like in baseball heaven. You're talking to your contemporaries. And so to not only to look at the displays and the things in the Hall of Fame, but Cooperstown, New York is sort of the, the, the history. It sort of gets you ready to to relive the history when you're there and so I know it's a challenge to to get people up there sometimes but i tell you if you and this is a plug for anybody who's watching this is that if you're a baseball fan you actually have to go to Cooperstown New York because your story about your romance with the game isn't complete until you do that and Tim I'm sure you must hear this from all kinds of people who have who maybe have been there for the first time
1: Really every do. every one of those stories, right, begins on a field of dreams, whether you're a five-year-old Mike Trout or a eight-year-old Sandy Koufax or a 10-year-old Willie Mays. It wasn't, oh, yeah, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame. It started with a belief in the game, and then a story gets told.
3: It does, and, and both of you are exactly right. If you If you're in Cooperstown coming to the Hall, you wanted to come there. I mean that's that's the first premise that makes that makes it great. You wanted to be there. And I, I think ultimately it's almost look on the club, what do we talk about on the club level? We used to talk on the club level, club level is the environment. You know, the general manager can put together a team, but ultimately it's what's the environment of that clubhouse, the dugout, you know, that, that makes everything else work. And I think part of it, Cooperstown, if if Yeah, there would be locations you could put the Hall of Fame in major cities and to walk out the door and there's 50 cabs there and there's a Derwiner Schnitzel or a Del Taco across the street. You don't have that in Cooperstown. You have Main Street, one signal, uh, two-hour parking, 1,800 people, some sandwich shops, a couple nice restaurants, a beautiful lake. um, You know, God's territory in terms of environment. You're taking a step back in time and really the history of the game is taking, you know, that step back in time to come up to the present. You have right down the street, Doubleday Field, which just turned 100 uh, last summer, which we would have honored or recognized. And, um, you know, it's the symbolic home of baseball. So it's, when you hear Hall of Famers, you hear players at the end of their careers. I mean, game six of the World Series, it was on the broadcast and talking about Kershaw's game in uh Game five and what it means to the future. And how many times you just say Cooperstown? You don't have to say the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown or Cooperstown's Hall of Fame. It's just Cooperstown. And it's just synonymous with greatness and what it means. And I know for me that trip to Albany, which I've taken quite a quite frequently in, in a year, that drive into Cooperstown, you know you're going someplace special.
1: Yeah, you gotta want it. It's part of the journey. As you were talking, I was thinking about how many people land at JFK or LaGuardia, hop into a cab and say, oh, hey, great. Just take me to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Like, oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so it as we talk about the place that baseball is in now, the strange world that all sports is dealing with in the middle of our society, yeah. as you look Forward, how are you thinking of telling the story of this past season?
3: Well, it's our curatorial people, and, and as you folks may know, you gentlemen may know that, that an exhibit in Cooperstown can stay up anywhere between 15 and 20, 25 years. Now, there are a lot of folks, just for example, and saying, oh, you know, where's your, your Houston Astros exhibit, for example, not to pick on the Astros, but that story is still not completely told and through a lens. You know, you have to let things unfold. So, you know, obviously we collected a lot of things and we're gonna have a meeting or call actually later this afternoon with the Dodgers about kind of finishing it off. But we've had a lot of things from score sheets and signage from clubhouses that you'll never see. We have Dr. Fauci's mask. Dave Roberts gave us his mask from the World Series. Um, You're gonna have protocols. We're gonna have testing kits. We're going to look at spring training being closed. So it's it's not just artifacts that will tell the story in terms of milestones. It will be what everybody, including on the club level, went to because you can't find a textbook or a roadmap for what baseball, the NHL, the NBA, and currently the NFL has had to go through to get through this season. And I think right. we're going to tell that story a little bit from – March and and the pandemic and results and cities, you know, grab some some political documents because it, you know, Texas was different than California, that was different than Florida, the planning that we were going to play in Arizona and uh, or Florida and Arizona, California, all those things, and try to do it in a consolidated manner, probably utilizing technology, a lot of new technology, but that is that will be on the planning table for a while Um, when the story as it unfolds and I think as I'm learning Andy you know we come from a world where we have to make decisions quick you know we had home stands next game whatever Um, when you're telling a story you have to get it right and you have to use a lens that best serves the present with a, a look into the future as well
0: Tim Andy's Andy's favorite topic of cardboard cutouts. So which which cardboard cutouts are you taking from which stadiums?
3: That's a, that's a great question, Jake. And I will tell you that um, Mario Aliotto had, had sent me a note from the Giants and uh see Andy leaning back. Uh, uh, Gaylord, they had a cutout of Gaylord Perry. And uh, they before they signed or uh, sold things for fundraising for their charities they check with the people you know for authorization Gaylord wanted his cutout donated to the hall so that will be part of the story and you know as I said earlier or to some folks earlier that you talked about the cutouts in different ballparks and at first it was just going to be fans and then you look at what a a Pat Gallagher and Andy Dolich of today took and ran with those cutouts to not just fans, but you had their Hall of Famers, you had local musicians, you know, were supportive of the organization. You made it fun for 30 home games. And it got a lot of play because it was, ultimately it was going to charity. Players got wrapped up in it as well. Fans could participate. So we, we will have a small collection. Um, Jake, if, if you're politicking for years to be in there, I'll give you a, a address for a check We'll
0: see what we can do. Yeah, I don't I don't have a cardboard cutout, but I'd love to see one with Pat's face and Andy's face on it somehow in the hall. That would be pretty cool.
2: Well, I I I can tell you this, Tim, if you do get that cutout of Gaylord Perry, just be be careful as you pick it up because I'm sure it's gonna be slippery, you know? I mean it's gonna it's it's gonna it's gonna bounce around a little bit. So but... I mean, I couldn't, that was a, that was a total softball. I, I couldn't help, but do that. And, uh, sure. you know, the Giants actually put a statue of Gaylord out in front of the, um, the ballpark as they have with, you know, uh, many other of the hall of famers, the retired number guys and others. And, you know, I sort of said, Hey, you know, we should make it into like a fountain or something. And, uh, it, it was not one of my better ideas, but, um, but, you know, the other, just back to your point about the history of the game and honoring it, you know, sometimes you need to have some time to put the history into perspective. And kind of where I'm going with this is that, you know, in the time that we've all been at the game, you know, there's been, there's been incredible moments, there's been dark moments, there's been, uh, there's been things like cheating, there have been performance enhancing drugs, those types of things. But those are, you know, whether we like it or not, are all part of the history of the game that the Hall of Fame can't ignore those, but you have to find the proper way to deal with them. And it's not just you making these decisions, Tim, you have a a community of of baseball and baseball historians who sort of help you weigh in. How, How do you, have you sort of gotten a feel for how you get that community to help you record the history properly?
3: That's a great question, and and let's just bring it forward to where we're at today in 2020, you know, with with social unrest. And, you know, some of the decisions, our our curatorial people are very, first of all, are very dialed in to experts and historians across the country through other museums and, you know, just different topics. Um, In 2006, when the committee was met or put together, formulated to to review the Negro Leagues and, you know, numbers. There were some outstanding individuals assembled on a committee. Um, you know, as we move forward, there's a different perspective of, of a social perspective of what's going on. You know, in Pride and Passion, we had segregation and, and uh, integration with Jackie Robinson, but the story's continued since 1947. and people look to that exhibit now a little bit differently. So you want to get a different perspective and open open up the mind a little bit. Um, our, our role is not to take a position. You know, there's, there's an exhibit that deals with steroids um, in the hall. It's, the hall is about fact. The hall is not about trying to direct you or guide you or sway you. Um, and some of it to your point, Pat, is Is uncomfortable certainly steroids is uncomfortable but it happened there isn't a country on the face of the earth that doesn't have a blemish in its history or or its existence and while i'm certainly not trying to get political you can't sweep it under the rug you know we can apologize for it we could try to to understand it but we certainly all have to learn from it so i'm going from a mindset now and really learning from a lot of these curatorial folks where you know, I'm looking at just our, our curatorial team of just do we do something quick I'm understanding nothing quick happens in history it's it's you look at it and you look at in every word guys I can't I can't stress this to you enough every single word that's put out counts it, it just does in the exhibit and particularly uh, if you're going to talk about players that have been attached to something or executives. You just want to be as precise from the historical perspective as you absolutely can. And I think the integrity of the process, as far as I'm concerned,
1: in 15 months is second to none. And we're talking to many people around the country who want to work in this business, right? So they look at Gallagher, Mead, and go. If those guys can have jobs, anybody can work in the industry. So... If- With all of the chapters that you've had, if you could take a moment and explain how it happened for you, how you got into this game. And then as you look back, what was the sort of one aha moment that makes you smile internally? That's a great question. I give the Reader's Digest. There's
3: nothing extraordinary or out of the ordinary about me whatsoever outside of being a fan who has had two perfect baseball jobs for a quote-unquote super fan. Uh, I wanted to play baseball. I wrote letters to all the clubs when I was in 10th grade. I learned a very valuable lesson then because about 75% of them wrote me a letter back to this day as well. You know, I learned then about responding to people, maybe not in a timely manner, insert Andy Dolich here, But I eventually get back to to people at at some point. Um, I I came up at a great time with a great group of people. Uh, In a nutshell, I wrote three letters to the Angels to be an intern, about being an intern. I was rejected three times. And I bring that up every time I talk to a college class because at the end of the day, if I didn't write the second letter or the third letter, I'm not on this podcast with you guys today. it just would not have worked out that way. So uh, a little bit of persistence. Um, I had no idea of what I didn't know at that time. I just know I love baseball. And getting inside, you know, I had my degree, uh, started out at $8,800 a year. And I remember the feeling when when, uh, Buzzy Bavese signed off, I thought, you know, I'm I'm euphoric. I'm getting paid to be in baseball. A year later, as an intern, I was stealing letterhead when I was zero it for the game notes because I thought I was never going to be around baseball after my internship. Um, you know, that's, that's how far things have changed. But at the end of the day, Andy, to, to really, I don't know if it's a, it's a one moment, but I tell people this, I grew up and many of the people were your peers and colleagues, there,
1: there you go. Got some 9 letterhead, you know. Like I can still say, yeah, I was so sorry. I'll, I just,
3: <laughs> I'll pull my folder out later. Um, <laughs> but but at the end of the day, I came into the game in an organization led by Gene Autry, Buzzy Bevisi, Red Patterson, where the older, ex- not old, older experienced people in the organization were willing to teach the younger people like me, who had no experience, 22, 23, they would impart their knowledge if we, were, if we were open to listening to it. And I came in with a group of people like Bill Bevace and Kevin Ulick, a couple others, that we were more than willing to be taught and learn. And that, I think in the period of time in the 80s, um, yeah, everybody competed. But even when you went to uh, other organizations like Bob Brown with the Baltimore Orioles, um, Larry Shank with the Phillies Dick Bresciani with the Red Sox they taught you if you wanted to listen and they made you better people the bottom line for me and I do answer this question as far as what do you have to do if you don't have a passion for the game you can't fake it um, you may sustain your career for a little while but eventually it, it will catch up with you and I, and I think there are brilliant minds far above you know, my knucklehead but at the end of the day i'll match my passion for
0: the game with anybody tim you, you know we were talking beforehand uh and one thing stood out to me in that you know you've been you were with the angels for 40 years and one would think you probably you know continued to learn each and every day of those 40 years but you get to a new job and as pat mentioned the job was the right fit for you and but you're continuing to learn and learn and learn and you never stop learning and and i think a lot of that stems from your passion but i i think back to you know i think we were saying it was 2013 i drove from redlands you know all the way to, to angel stadium uh learn a uh, lesson learned for those who are listening um if you're in california and you drive somewhere and you know that you're going to leave around 3:30 or 4 o'clock just uh <laughs> like wind back your clock a couple hours because it took me about four hours to get home for about 20 miles but anyways. You know, as, as I'm sitting there in your office, Tim, and we're spending an hour chatting about how to get into, you know, career in sports, you know, I'm sure uh, what you were talking about then has evolved, right? And, it, and you continue to pick up on new things as you go and you meet new people, uh, meet new people of all walks of life. What's the one thing as you reflect back um, over these over the last, you know, 18 months of learning something new that you could uh, provide to our listeners from, you know, a piece of advice?
3: That's a great question, Jay, because it's a little bit different from when you're starting in an organization as a kid and you're taking over an organization as a president, um, you know, and, and it, it's just a different dynamic. And I I don't look at myself as, you know, this title. I do not walk around with a feeling of a title when I was with the Angels, but Preston Gomez a long time ago gave just, uh, just a conversation, and he said, look, listen, and observe. And he said, you pick up more, you know, when you keep this quiet a little bit, and you listen to people, and you observe people. The problem for that in, in now is 90 people that are staff are looking, listening, and observing at me and seeing how you're coming in as a president and transitioning from the we mentality of, of the club to Cooperstown, but I still apply some of that. I don't know a curatorial, you know, I don't know the depth and the process that you would with anything for most things in baseball. So you have to learn. Um, I told him when I took over, I'm kind of like the freshman on campus and I'm, I'm talking to, you know, all these associate professors. So the, the one thing, and, and I've kind of become a hypocrite because I said that I would, I could never imagine leaving. Um, you know, all my networking and all that and going someplace where you just come in as this elevated position and you have no understanding of, of the process. You know, it's like somebody coming in as your general manager on the club level who doesn't know what an equipment manager does or your assistant trainer does or your, your key people in in the business side. Well, I, you know, I, I need to put that in place and make sure and I ask questions. I'm not, a, I'm not hesitant or afraid or concerned concerned about showing vulnerability in terms of what I don't know. Um, I, I always believe the strength of any individual is to focus on what you don't know or what you're not good at, as opposed to trying to enhancing to over-impress people with your strengths. I mean, you kind of achieved your job because of your strengths. Um, you're gonna maintain your job or become better when you focus on the things you're just not as
1: good at. Yeah, and a, a bit of a dinner. segue into a, um, a bit of future uh, in terms of what the Hall of Fame may look at and exhibits and the great marketing and promotion of baseball, uh, which we won't get into now, but pay attention and stay tuned in the future. Um, One of the keys is institutional knowledge. And there's so many young people today, their institutional knowledge might go back a year or two. And if you look at the game, uh, we talked about cardboard cutouts. We talked about fans making calls in games and go, wow, that's cool. That's very hip. That's happening right now. And you go, yeah, go back to 1952 or 1936, right? The game has seen a lot of analytics. And metrics, it just wasn't called that seventy-five years ago. Yeah, it,
3: it every, everything's changed. And you know, Andy, you and I had a great conversation as we alluded to even earlier on this about you don't want to look back and and talk about it. it. It's everybody's going to find its place for what works best for them.
4: Oh, you know, we have the, a guess.
1: We have a guess. All right, um, series winning <laughs> guess. Hello hey, there. Fred, hey, Fred, how
3: are you? Good. Good. Hey, congratulations.
4: Well, I uh, I received a lot of congratulations, and I had nothing to do with it.
1: <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, um, we were just talking about that, Fred. Not you in particular,
2: but <laughs> us. <in>
1: particular.
3: <laughs> no, I, I, you know, Andy, to, to that, that question, and just one segue of it, just, you know, Everything's an adjustment and, and an evolution. And I, I get with the Hall of Fame, but probably about six, seven years ago, and ironically, he I didn't realize at the time he worked in the Hall of Fame, but the president of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, his name is Greg Harris, and he cut his teeth in Cooperstown and was outstanding, you know, and curatorial. And Now he's leading the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But we were downstairs looking at some exhibits, and he said, you know what? In 30 years from now, some of the electees could very well be DJs. You know, I'm thinking of rock and roll, Hall of Fame and bands. Well, that's the evolution, okay? That's just the evolution of music and rock and all that. You go to the Hall of Fame in 20, 15, 20, 25 years, I mean, we may be electing starting pitchers, pitchers if they're statistically don't become, you know, uh, you know, extinct. <laughs> with what's, what's going to be the benchmark, 145, 165, 155 wins? I don't know, but, but we're going to evolve. We're going to evolve statistically, you know, to do some of the comps that we all love and we've grown up loving, you know, to compare Mike Musina with Bob Gibson's numbers or, or, you know, somebody else, It it's just going to be different. And I think that as certain generations age out, the acceptance of analytics, I I don't know that some of the things that, that we use and measure and, and hear or, or, or read during broadcast, I don't know how much the average fan is sitting in the stands discussing it, but maybe that's just a continuing education program that's gonna grow with time.
2: Well, you know, it, and I think it does. And, you know, you people talk about the things, about the, the grand old game, the things that don't change. But, but, you know, when you look at stuff like that, you realize that the game, the game has been changing uh you know continuously through this one of the things i learned from fred early on when uh, when i got in is he said you know he, he, and i remember this he said pat the competition in baseball is 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 between the white lines so that sharing information and and bringing up b- sharing and stealing ideas with with your brethren in the game is part of is part of your job but it's also one of the joys of being involved to be able to um, to take ideas that may or may not have worked uh, somewhere else and use them, and that's all encouraged. I mean, that's an en- encouraging part of it. And Fred, you know, I, I'm glad that you're here so that I can thank you again. We, you said that you know when this becomes your vocation, sort of vers- versus your avocation, you really do think about it differently.
4: Well, I think that. Uh... You know, I was very uh, fortunate, obviously, but um, to be around um, people and leaders uh, who truly saw a um, a bigger picture about the game uh, and about the growth of the game uh, and about the history of the of the game. I mean, all of those things, and thinking of the um, the great people involved when I had the opportunity to get into the game uh, certainly made a um, an everlasting impact on me, and hopefully uh, through some of the things that I've been able to do, uh, that I've been able to um, pass some of that
0: along. I mean, Tim, Fred, when you think about it, you know, between your all four of you. And I'll add just a couple of years on to it, but you know, one hundred and seventy plus years of experience. Um, just incredible, the lens to look through that. and and obviously,, uh, you know, as as I said uh, earlier when we were talking, age is just a number. so uh, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But when you think about everything that you've seen, you know over the years, um, Fred, i would I would throw it to you to ask, you know, Tim, kind of our closing question in relation to, just uh, the, the biggest lesson learned you know along the way uh, let's start with you and then you can throw it to, to, to Tim the biggest lesson learned yeah uh, I think the
4: um, the biggest lesson learned is the um, ability to uh, to listen and to Listen to people with experience and having had that opportunity, and to um, apply those experiences in uh, in the best way uh, possible. But that's really what I think about when I, I think about. Uh, Uh, how fortunate and I don't want to just say Dodgers but how fortunate I was to be able to walk into a major league meeting with uh, Walter O'Malley and part of it I think was that um, the game in many ways was so much more uh, intimate and so much smaller as related to um, uh, the leadership and the size uh, as Andy and Pat know of organizations uh, so that that's been the um, uh, the biggest thing and, and and certainly the the greatest uh, impact on uh, on my life and my career Tim
3: I would echo that and I would say it from this standpoint not only Fred Claire, learn from the best in the O'Malley family, but it's your organization and it's what you do for other people and your reach. When, when you've been taught something, you learn it, it's what you impart. I still, we were talking about earlier folders of letterhead Andy, I still have folders w- which are very inclusive of congratulations notes from Fred Clare through my career as I went up you know, the ladder and accomplished things. And I'm sure as Buzzy Bavese used to write handwritten notes to people um, throughout baseball and their accomplishments, and there are probably a few other Fred Clare's out there as well, but it's acknowledgement of people within our industry because as large of an impact as it has, it really was, and and perhaps still is very small And, and only really a handful of people kind of understand what's involved and what you go through and the rigors and the highs and the lows that to recognize other people's success individually or organizationally is very, very important. And as I told you that lesson I learned in 10th grade uh, that was very important, Fred's notes through the years was a reinforcement of doing the right thing uh, as you move forward. And I have not forgotten that. And I would have said that whether Fred had joined in or not, because those are lessons you learn from other people. Bob Brown, as I mentioned in in PR notes, always taught me about, you know, to to point out, you have to point out the negative because every negative eventually becomes a positive at some point in some manner. And I always remember that from the PR approach as well. So, you know, our careers are basically are a compilation of great advice and input from a lot of other people if, if we listen.
1: And Jake, I got to hand, I got to hand you some credit because as I look at this video, your insight into put putting two guys from the LA basin and two guys from the Bay Area on the same podcast—who the hell would have bet on? <laughs> Holy mackerel! That's pretty. Amazing.
0: Well, you know, as as long as uh, I'll throw it back to you know the the bridge uh, in which Andy and Pat were involved in, as long as the bridge doesn't split in half, I think we'll be okay on this one. So. Hey, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> you, you never know. You never know. Fred, Fred, any any uh, last words for our guests as we uh, as we wrap this up?
4: Uh well, my. Uh... My last words uh, to all and all who are interested in sports. And I saw a text today uh, from a professor from the University of Arkansas, uh, and I didn't read through it, but it had to do with uh, the number of sports management programs and by the headline, and again, not reading it, the limitations of positions. Uh, the, uh, the competition, uh, the scarcity, and, and particularly at this time, the opportunities. I say to those um, who are interested in the sports business world where we've been so fortunate to be involved and have experience, um, yes, uh, consider that. Look at all of the factors but I, I get back from my own personal experience uh, to what I've always tried to convey, uh, follow your passion. Um, uh, follow the, the, uh, the area, the dreams that you have and look to uh, good examples and don't be uh, discouraged. Tim mentioned that you know, there are uh, tough times we, we learn really more from, without any doubt, uh, we learn more from the tough times than we do from the good times. So um, I encourage in a challenging time, all who are listening uh, to have hope, uh, to continue to strive, to, um, uh, to use the words of uh, Coach Wooden, Uh, make each day your masterpiece. Uh, Do what we can uh, every day to be the best that we can be.
1: I tip my cap to that in another World Series championship. Who would have figured out that my favorite player, Sandy Koufax, 32 years from (laughs) '80 to now, that the San Francisco Giants will have would have won three World Series in five years and the A's had never won another one since eighty nine. Go figure that. That's the storytelling
2: that Tim Meade will do in the baseball hall of fame forever. Hey Tim, it would have been four in, in two thousand and two. I'm still upset about that. So
3: <laughs> I, I was gonna I was gonna bring that up and I'll tell you after after the Dodger victory last week, Nobody was happier than Ned Coletti because every time I speak with Ned, he reminds me of that. So um, I'm, I'm, glad for him as well.
2: Me too.
0: Tim, thank great. you so much for, for taking the time to spend with, with all of us on the podcast. Uh, you know, couldn't say uh, enough great things about you and, and uh, look forward to the next trip to Cooperstown. Jake.